Hi there, everybody. My name is Laura Kellen May, and today our guest is is Joyce Chartier from Choice LLC and Choice Party Ponies. How are you doing today, Joyce? I am fabulous. Where are you located, first of all? I have two different locations, both in Florida, one on the East Coast, the Treasure Coast area, specifically Palm City, Florida, and then I have my West Coast of Florida division, which is based in San Antonio, Florida. Excellent. So you run both businesses from where you are located right now? So yes. you go. Yes, I, I, I run them both from San Antonio. Do you have a web page or website that people can find you at? I have two web pages. One is Choice Ponies, and I spell it funny because my name is Joyce and my ponies are Choice. And it's C H O Y, as in yellow, C E ponies, P O N I E S dot com. And my second website is choicellc.com. Choiceponies.com and choicellc.com, and they can find you there and find out some more in-depth stuff about your businesses there. Tell us a little bit about what you do and what your businesses are. Um, well, my one business is my main business, and it's one that I started 20 years ago, and that was my pony party business, and that is my East Coast business. I don't do pony parties on the West Coast, and that's part of why I have two different websites. The one website is more my East Coast website, and then the Choice LLC website is my West Coast website, and that one is primarily doing trail rides because that's more what I enjoy and what I specialize in, and it's how I reshaped my business when I moved to the West Coast. It's probably been two or three years ago now. So what are some of the big uh, trail rides that you've done on the West Coast then? Usually my big ride that I do every year is the Osceola Wagon Train and Trail Ride, which is in the central part of Florida in Osceola County. And that one I try to do every year. This year for the first time I did the Cracker Trail Ride that I haven't done for probably 10 years. I was thrilled to be able to do that and then the big ride that I did this year was the Great Florida Cattle Drive 16. I did the cattle drive in 2006, and then I had the opportunity to do it again in 2016. I was an outfitter for the ride. I had a total of 16 horses at that ride this year. So outfitter, so you outfit the trail rides with horses, tack, equipment, all yes. that type of thing. Yes. And you get them to the trailhead, and then you meet up with the people prior to? If they, yeah, to? if they require that, you know, it, in fact, when I did the package, it was with the inclusion of one ride so that they could get to know my horses and get to know me and you know, I did not guarantee them that that was the horse that they would get, but at least they had an idea of what my horses were. I got a chance to assess their riding abilities, and then I could kind of get an idea of where I needed to place them and which horse they needed to be on. You must spend a lot of time combing the countryside for quality horses that can be used and ridden by people. Yeah, that, and then I have my old steady standbys that one of them is my Luke horse, and he... Uh, took someone out on the ride this year that prior to me meeting him, he had been on a horse twice in his life. It's more than just going out to a trail ride. I mean, these are significant overnight rides, right? Yeah, yeah. This was week-long camping, moving our campsites every day, loading up all of our equipment into a trailer. I got called in at the last minute to be the trail boss, the circle boss for the 
Blue Group, which was on the west coast of Florida, we had some people that had to call out due to illness, and I was the third person that I said I would do it. So I had 81 people in my group, including my group of 15 riders. So that made the logistics a whole lot more difficult at that point. So you, uh, with 81 people, you were organized with logistics for the horses, for the people, for the equipment, everything. Yeah, yeah, and, and, you know, because I was the person that put out the fires and I was the liaison between the head honchos and the people, and so I was trying to help them out. I was required to have two trucks and trailers one to move all of the feed, the hay and the grain for the horses, and then the other one was to remove all of the equipment that people had brought with them to camp, all of their tents, their clothes, all that kind of stuff. So not just riding, but also all the logistics and coordination involved as well. Yes, absolutely. That sounds like a very large undertaking. Yes, it was. <laughs> I didn't know. I, you know, when I did the ride in 2006, I did the ride. I did the ride as a yes. participant. And, you know, I had been going to the meetings, but I certainly had no idea about what all of the logistics were really until probably maybe the second day of when I'd actually accepted when I said I was going to do it. It was quite a quite an experience. It was totally fabulous. I had a great bunch of people who supported me in this. The mistakes that were made that were the mistakes that were made and we got it all sorted out in the end. And are you going to do it again this year? Uh, that next year? is a event that because of the logistics of pulling together between four and 500 head of cattle, all of the, the cowboys to work those, the cow hunters is what they're specifically called. Because of all of that, it's the insurance alone for the week was $14,000. The expenses, okay. the work, we were on, I want to say it was like 15 different properties that were owned by lots of different people. And when you have to pull all the all those logistics together, all of the paperwork, the red tape, the organization, the changes that were made at last minute because of the extreme rain that we had where literally that week we were changing up camps because there was too much rain where we originally thought we were gonna camp. So that we don't do it usually but every 10 years. We are, oh, I see. Yeah, we're hoping for another opportunity in 2021 when we will celebrate 500 years of Ponce de Leon bringing horses and cattle and sheep and pigs and goats to the state of La Florida. Very interesting. Let's move on now, uh, Joyce, and talk a bit about you. How did you get started with your riding? I started when I was little. I started riding with a friend of mine. I was I started out on a rocking horse, and I rode as a kid on a dairy with a friend of mine. We used hay stirring bridles because none of the cowboys that were there would let us use any of their proper equipment. And then I didn't ride again until I was 17 years old, again at a dairy. I was riding a three-year-old buckskin Appaloosa that would be going along for two or three or four hours and then all of a sudden get a wild hair and buck me off and then I would be walking. <laughs> then I went and took lessons and learned how to ride. <laughs> and then I started training horses, and then I started teaching riders. So you started riding in Florida. Yes. And uh, I'm going to take a stab here and say Western-type riding. Oh, well, mostly bareback because, like I say, they 
wouldn't let us use any of their equipment, and we would literally take haystring and make bridles out of it and put it on the horses and ride the horses in haystring bridles. When you got these haystring bridles and you just got on the horses, what what? So you're talking cowboys. So these must have been real ranches that you were riding at. Yeah, yeah, they were they were dairies actually, which is the weirdest, wildest thing. But um, you know, I my a whole other topic for another yeah podcast. How did you come up with your idea for Joyce LLC and Joyce Party Ponies? I, 20 years ago, I was involved in 4-H and I was learning how to teach. And I was also involved with the Horsemanship Safety Association, of which Betty Bennett Talbot was the originator and the director of that. And I learned how to teach from her in her clinics. At the time, I was also involved with the 4-H and we were doing pony rides in the park in Okeechobee every year as a fundraiser for the 4-H. And out of that, people would find them and call them up and ask them to do parties and they would be like, we don't want to do parties. We don't do parties at people's houses. The person at the time that was running the 4-H club that I was involved with, she was like, I had somebody call me to bring ponies to a party and I don't do that, but maybe you might want to. And at the time I had one pony and I had my daughter who was then four years old. I took her and and her pony Buttercup, and I walked around in circles with Buttercup doing pony rides for two hours, and then at the end, Tiffany did a riding demonstration of her running a barrel pattern. They gave me $100, and I was like, wow, somebody paid me to do this. <laughs> you get paid for doing something that you like to do. Yeah, I mean, and I was exhausted, but it was like, wow. So I went from that to going to the flea market in Stewart, and I did the flea market in Stewart, the BNA flea market. I did that for 10 years, bringing ponies then while I was doing that, I was also developing the pony party business. So when that ended with the flea market, I just kept on doing the pony parties. And then I added, you know, little things like bounce houses and petting zoos and bungee jumps. And so you kept growing and growing and growing. Yeah, yeah. Are there other people doing the same thing? And how is yours different from others out there? Absolutely, there are people who are doing mine. You know, there are people who always think, well, you know, she's making money and she loves it and she's doing a great job at it. And so they think, oh, we can do this. And I have competitors. One of my best friends was one of my best competitors for many years until she sold her business. And uh, we would toss ponies, pony parties back and forth all the time because we were very good friends and we would always discuss what we were doing with our pony party businesses and what was going on. It's very rare that you can have a competitor who is in your same service area that you can get along with and we're still friends and we've been friends for 17 years excellent so yeah. how, how how are you different from the others i bring ponies that have been doing this for many many years we did the steward air show with our ponies with the bombs and the jets, my ponies are very established. They're very experienced. They've been doing this for numerous years. They come glitterized. I bring unicorns. I can bring zebras. I can bring something as odd as a unicorn or a zoonicorn, which is only seen on the Treasure Coast. It comes in all varieties of pinks and purples and blues, and it's stripied, and it's a unicorn. Do you have any pictures of the zoonicorn? I do have pictures of the Zunicorn on my website. I think definitely I have her on my uh, Facebook page. Okay, what's her Facebook page, Joyce? Joyce Party Ponies on Facebook. Choice. Yep, I have Choice Party Ponies on Choice. Facebook, and then I also have Choice LLC on Facebook. So, uh, as far as the business goes, 
what do you think is the number one thing holding back people from doing what they want to do? For example, you have a great business. Why do you think people are not going for it? Depends on your mindset, and I think that there are people, and, and I see success all over every day. I see people doing this and making it work. I, I see lots and lots of people who can do a horse business and make it work. Consequently, I see other people who, this is a lot of work. It involves a lot of hours. When you have a horse business, when you have any business, you eat, breathe, and sleep it. When you put your horses before you do and you spend the bulk of your income on what you do because I don't make a whole lot of money. I don't, you know, this is this is a very small living for the amount of hours and the amount of time and the amount of love that, that I put into this. It's not real easy for people to understand. When I say things like, my stock all has four legs. I don't have a 401k. I don't have a retirement. I don't have all those things that people traditionally look for. And that's a little bit of a challenge. So people are a little bit afraid of the investment that they have to make. And I, I really I really think, too, that sometimes people get into, quote, horse business, unquote, and really don't understand the amount of time it takes to actually do it. No. And your reputation is important. And I see a lot of people who come into the horse business and maybe they don't have the best morals. And, and that makes a whole nother bunch of issues there. I'm an administrator on a big Facebook group that has well over, it's almost 17,000 people now and it's in the Tampa Bay area. And we have to occasionally remove people from our group because they're not reputable. And we're one of the few groups that really does try to vet the professionals that we have in our group. And if we get a rash of complaints and they do seem to be justified, we try to make a joint decision because I've got seven admins that work that group and we do make decisions occasionally to remove people. So what was one of the major roadblocks you experienced when you set out with your businesses? Insurance costs. My insurance this year for my pony parties was over $3,000. It's gone up. That's for the the choice party ponies. Just the ponies. Just you the know. ponies. Yeah. You know, I... I was in business and had been doing this for probably eight or nine years. And, you know, I was always wearing boots when I walked with the ponies. And I got plantar fasciitis. And that really put a hitch in my get-along. And I had to really think on my feet to try to keep this business going because basically I couldn't walk anymore. So now I have had over the years, I've had people that have subcontracted to me that they also feel the passion that I do and they also love what I do and they've helped me with my business over the years. But you're still able to ride, right? Oh, I'm still able to ride. I still I still could choose to teach. I just didn't take that part of me when I moved over to the West Coast where I was I had a yeah. I had a barn, I had, you know, riding instruction. When I moved over to the West Coast I was like, you know what, I just want to do trail rides. So you you are subcontracting your choice party ponies? Yes, you know, and, and I what I found was that when I was teaching lessons I would I would last at a barn about three, maybe four years, and then it would start to become friction and issues, and so I would have to look for another barn. And then, a few years ago, when I shut down my barn in 2013, then I made the decision to move across the state. So then it was like, 
everybody who usually has a business like mine, they sell it or they shut it down and then they move and they start over again. I made the decision to try to run that business remotely from across the state. It takes having people that you can trust to do something like that. Now I have moved across the state and that's been an amazing thing. So when did you know that you uh, you survived that major moment and overcame that major roadblock? It wasn't a, a big moment. It was just a continuing, ongoing journey of, wow, I'm making this work. Wow, I still have money in the bank. Wow, I'm still able to feed the horses. And it's just, it's it's little things. It's It's not any one big moment that goes, wow, I'm making this work. Right. Okay, so now let's move on to some specific equitation questions. Are you up for that? Sure. Okay. Okay, so why is good equitation or riding, well, so important? In my business with doing trail rides or pony parties or anything like that, job one is it keeps you from falling off. You know, well, that's important. That's That for me is the most important thing. I find that often I'm taking out people out in the woods, we may encounter obstacles, we may encounter animals, horses you are not... encounter one of those gigantic uh, gators that we see on Facebook? Actually, that's really funny. I was taking a, a training horse out and I had people riding behind me and it was raining at Atlantic Ridge and the water on all of the trails was really deep. We were sloshing through a trail that was about two feet deep, and all of a sudden, I just, out of the corner of my eye, I looked down and I saw this huge outswelling coming out from underneath my horse, and I watched the water continue to swell up, and then it jumps out on the bank, and it was a two-foot gator. <laughs> it was, it, my, the horse that I was riding didn't even budge. He just kept on acting like, I didn't see a thing. I don't know what you're talking about. And I was like, oh, my gosh, that was a gator, and it came right out from underneath my horse. Those types of things are why I say equitation is really important because, right. you know, keeping your weight down in your heels, trying to predict what your horse is going to do, keeping your upper body back. People teach equitation in a ring. And people teach English equitation, and they're like, bring the upper body forward, got that nice little lovely two-point position. That's all fine and wonderful. I did a clinic with Aidan O'Connell about probably five or six years ago, and Aidan O'Connell just put a video up on the Mayo about riding out of the arena, riding outside the fencing, and that's when equitation becomes more important than anything. Because if you're not balanced and you're not paying attention to what's going on, you're going to be off in a flash. That is so huge. You know that people they spend their lives in inside the confines of the of the ring. I agree with you totally on that. So, what is the biggest challenge you see people are struggling with with their equitation? I mean, you get so many different types of people. People who have ridden a lot. People who have ridden never ever. I have people that range from I've never been on a horse before to I've had Grand Prix riders ride my horses. I've got a friend of mine that's retired steer wrestler. He rides. You know, I go from people who don't know how to ride hardly at all to people that ride way better than I'll ever ride. With beginners, what I see is that it's too easy to overhorse yourself. People will sell you a horse that is more horse than you need 
to be on. That's what you mean by overhorsing. Yeah. Being, they should be on a 15-2 quiet quarter horse when they're on someone selling them a 17-2 thoroughbred that just raced two weeks ago. And they do it with their children. They do it as adults. They do it unknowingly. They, oh, I want my child to grow up with the same companion. You know, and they'll go and they'll buy a young horse that really the child has no business being on. Or for themselves, they'll go out and they'll look and they'll find a disreputable person that may drug the horse or may misrepresent the horse. Or they may look at the horse and go, oh, it's pretty, I want it, and not even think about what they're going to do to ride the horse to have anything to do with it. There's so many ways that mistakes can be made because people don't know. They don't know what they're doing and people selling horses that it's not their business. So they just want the horse gone. They don't pay attention to where the horse is going to go. And you'll you'll get people that'll come out and they'll look at a horse for sale. They'll be like, oh, just get on it and go. Or their friends have horses and they're not instructors themselves, but their horses are fine for them to ride. So they'll be like, oh, come on over. Come jump on my horse. Let's go for a ride. They can't look at a person's body and say, wow, this horse might be too much for them. They don't know how to read what's going on with the rider and with the horse. And the next thing you know, somebody's fallen off a horse, they're getting hurt. So they're just, they're not knowledgeable. Not knowledgeable. There are too many horses in this world that are not well-trained. There are too many people who don't want to spend money to pay for quality training. And, And it is an accident waiting to happen. So what tips can you give people right now to help them, to help people who are listening here today? Know what's going on in your horse's head and develop a strategy to avoid your falls. And I say avoiding them because they'll happen no matter what happens. You get on a horse, plan on falling off. It's it's just going to happen. It it may take years. <laughs> I don't like to hear that. Well, but that's what happens, you know. And, and I, I say that because I had one of my students, and it probably took her three or four years before she finally fell off. But it did happen you learn to ride better, so then you take more risks. If you never take risks, you're not going to have an issue. Very rarely are you going to have anything go wrong. I try extra, extra careful with my beginner riders. We always ride to the level of the least rider. Anytime I book a trail ride and I'm like, okay, what's your riding skills? What's your friend's riding skills? You know, and they're like, oh, well, you know, I've I've ridden and I'm really good and I'm experienced and I own my own horse and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, and my friend's a beginner. Okay, well, you need to understand we're going to ride to the level of your friend who's a beginner and we're going to keep them safe. You, you, You have to read the horse's body language. You have to learn how to read the horse's body language. You have to feel what they're feeling and have a plan if they spook. It's going to happen or you're going to overface yourself. These are all things that most often happen if you, oh, I love horses. I'm going to ride every week. Oh, I'm going to think this is a fabulous experience. I want to get into owning my own horse. Because a lot of people, when they start riding, some people never get past the, oh, I ride occasionally. Most of the time, they're pretty safe. You know, it's it's when you decide that you're passionate about this and you want to learn all you can learn in the limited time you have here on the planet, that's, that's when sometimes accidents can happen. I think that's really good advice for everybody who's listening here today. So is there are there any other things you'd like to add to that, uh, Joyce? Riding with a helmet, riding with an air riding vest or a safety vest. When I fox hunt, because I'm one of those that says, oh, i got to push my envelope. I hunt with an air vest. I'm attached by a lanyard to my saddle, and when I separate from my horse, 
my air vest immediately goes off. I he liked I bet, by Soteria. I growing up, when you put those Baylor twine, hay bind, hay twine bridles <laughs> on those three-year-olds, did you have a vest and a helmet? No, no, no. Probably, we fell off you, with great regularity. I, I can picture it. You had a pair of cut-off jean shorts and probably a halter top or bathing suit, and. Maybe had boots on, I don't know, probably bare feet. No, probably barefoot or in tennis shoes because, you know, I didn't have to worry about falling out of a stirrup because I wasn't there was none. To, there was none. There wasn't <laughs> yes, none. They weren't letting us use any of their good equipment. The challenge that I see people that are struggling with their equitation is that they just don't ride enough. And I will say the fox hunting, the trail riding, those are all ways to get out in the saddle and spend hours. And that's what really makes a difference in your equitation. Spending time in the tack. That's really good advice. I think we're going to wrap it up there, Joyce. I'd like to thank you, Joyce Chartier, for coming on uh, our podcast for today. And if you'd like to visit... Joyce, you can go to choicellc.com and choicepartyponies.com. Thank you so much, Joyce, for visiting with us today. All right. Thank you. All right. Thanks.